2: Welcome to the Iron Women Podcast. I'm Alyssa Gadeski, and I am here with my co-host, recently seventh place champion at the Los Angeles Olympic Distance Herbalife Triathlon, I think I said it right,
0: Um, Haley Chura. Haley, congratulations. What are you doing with all of your fame these days? Seventh place champion. I really am just walking around with a sign that says that (laughs) all over (laughs) Bozeman. Um,
2: I mean, I feel like if people know how that's actually like you did really great job. I felt like doing an Olympic distance. You never raced one as a professional. I mean, for our listeners, Olympic distance is very different from racing Ironman and even 70.3 and like Haley's training over the last season let alone the like last few years of your career has been not geared for this
0: type of racing so I think that's super legit I think you did great thank you no I'm very happy with the day and and also just where I'm in in my weird season am I still in the same season are we calling this 2022 now I think I might be in my 2022 season (laughs) <laughs> it's like January 2022 right now for me. Or wait, maybe it's December 2020. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out when is Kona again? Kona slash St. George? Uh, what is it? Right. May? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. So okay. My goal right now is to be at my very best on May 7th in St. George, Utah, May 7th, 2022. So it was kind of, this was a fun race to jump into. Like you said, I've been a pro athlete for like almost a decade now, and I'd never done an Olympic distance pro race. And it was so fun, Alyssa. I hi- highly, highly recommend it. Um, you know, it's, it, it was still very hard, hard. And there were still parts where I was like, I look at the like sprint course turnaround and I'm like, I wish that was my turnaround. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it can always be shorter. But um I, I wasn't one of those people who was like, I wish we were we were doing this like four times. I once was enough. Um, but I I had a really good time. I mean, this the Los Angeles triathlon, it's like it's it's truly in Los Angeles. Like we started at Venice Beach, swam. 1500 meters in the Pacific ocean. The breakers were terrifying to get through. I, um, I I feel like in the past we've had mailbag questions about breakers and I was like, Oh yeah, yeah, totally fine. I know everything about that. And I'm like, I'm not qualified to answer those questions anymore based on that performance. (laughs) But, um, there were definitely moments where I was like, I'm never, I'm just going to be stuck here at the, at the shore, (laughs) but but did make it through. Um, and then watch sunrise come up over Venice beach, from the vantage point of the pacific ocean it was like back so you boundaries. had to get in the pacific ocean in the dark how dark was it it was like me? i had just gotten to be light out so i mean i was not wearing like you could do this race with like clear goggles like i would probably right. recommend non-metallic goggles for this race because it's it gets dark or it gets light i think sunrise was like 7 a.m and i started at 7.03 so <laughs> Right. Um, And the buoys in the beginning, they were like setting them out like as we were swimming. So it's kind of like, I think we just aim for that pier. But it it was fairly – once you got through the breakers, it was fairly like peaceful and beautiful and nice. And it wasn't too cold. And like I said, backlit palm trees on the shore. I mean, it was just like magical. Like I just felt – so lucky to be out there and to be a part of it. And um, I did catch a little body surf wave coming in, uh, which was fun. And it's also a little a little scary because you're like going so fast. Um, and what was the salt water? Were you in a wetsuit or no wetsuit? Yes, it was a wetsuit. It was like they said sixty one degrees Fahrenheit, so fairly cold. But I was pretty comfortable at that temperature, and I I wore a wetsuit. We'll say salt water wetsuit. I wore my you know, I'm always big on the chamois cream. The Zilio's betwixt, not just for chamois. I put that around my like on around my neck, um, around the wetsuit, and I have no chafing, nothing. Ooh, that's always is, a win, huge win yes, on the race day, So good. water swim. And I did get to lead the women's race out of the water. Um, I also got to lead for about 18 miles of the. Twenty-four point eight mile bike course, and so that was like pretty fun. Like, because you're riding through like major urban streets, and they're just totally closed, and um, were people cheering. Was it still pretty quiet? Because it was. So it was early. pretty quiet. Like, I it was pretty. There were a couple people that were out cheering at certain you know intersections and stuff, which was just so cool. It was so fun, and um, the course is like really pretty nice, except for the final road on Wilshire. If people are familiar with Los Angeles, like. That was like one of the bumpiest roads I've ever ridden on in my entire life. Like I thought I was like, please, please bike, like all the bolts, please be like tightened. I hope everything stays together. Um, That part I didn't really enjoy, but it was short and at the very end. Um, And then uh, the run was two loops, had a big hill. I felt a little uh, like my run fitness speed was lacking a little bit, but, you know, it was still... It was a race. It was fun. It was over pretty quick, and then um, got to hang out with a lot of the team um, SFQ Smash Fest Queen Team uh, women post race, who had also raced, which was so fun. Um, you know, just hanging out a bit. We were right outside the Staples Center, which is just like for me, it was just like oh my goodness, it's like iconic Los Angeles. Like I've I've never been there, so it's kind of cool to like be there. And then again, this race, like the logistics seem like it could be so difficult, but they the Herbalife 24 LA triathlon crew does like an incredible job, but they offered like shuttles for us with our bikes to get us back to Venice beach. Cause that's where I'd parked. Um, and then I went to a really good breakfast brunch, um, in Venice beach afterwards. That was so good. And I had like one of the best margaritas in my life. So, and it was like noon. <laughs> so, um, it was, that was a little bit nicer than like post Court d'Alene. I mean, I loved recording the podcast with you post Coeur d'Alene, but like where I'm like trying to digest a sausage while laying and baking and recording a <laughs> podcast. And I remember like, I do remember after that raise, Betty's like, you should celebrate. And I was like, Topo Chico. Like, I think that's all I have in me. (laughs) So (laughs) Olympic distance, you know, I think there is a case for the Olympic distance. Like I felt the same really great sense of accomplishment afterwards without like the, um, sense that I, I might be dying. (laughs) I do have some fond
2: memories. Like in my early days of triathlon, right after I graduated from college and I was living in Baltimore city and I was, it was like a house with three of my good girlfriends. And, they would get up and go to brunch on Sundays and some Sundays, like as I was getting into triathlon, I'd be like, okay, I'll be back. Like I'll meet you at brunch and I would go race an Olympic distance and then still get back for like the bottomless mimosas or whatever, like all you can drink brunch situation. And I do think like, man, we do need to make some more space for that. I think in, in our triathlon lives,
0: I agree. I mean, I think one of the cool things about this, this race, uh, it was, you know, they had a spread distance race an Olympic distance race. They had a 5K, and I think they also had a bike tour. So people were just – they were doing like a 20-mile bike tour. And from the expo and packet pickup, I would say the bike tour might have been the most popular event. Um, probably just because, again, you get to ride on these streets in of Los Angeles that were totally closed that you probably cannot normally – I mean, I think they're probably uncomfortable to even drive normally with traffic. So I, I like this, like having these multiple events going on. Again, kudos to that crew who pulled it off because it was – it was a big event. It was fun. And, um, but yeah, I think we need, I mean, I'm, I love Ironman. I love the long distance races. I love the, you know, middle distance races, but even, even though they may not be my biggest strength, these short course races are quite fun. And it it does seem like there were a lot of smiles, I think in, all of the
2: um, you know, kind of post race pictures I saw from everyone who was racing, and the race did seem to get a lot of good reviews. So um kudos to the team. I knew I know there was like a pretty good kind of push to get elites there and like racing. and I think there was a nice elite field there, at least for the women i tend to focus on that. Yeah. I think I saw some men in the results too, but there was definitely a solid women's field and I appreciate that um rallying us to get out there and to race. And hopefully we'll we will see that race again next year.
0: Yeah, congratulations to Emma Pallant on the win. Amy Sloan was second and Heather Jackson was third. Um you know just yeah there was some it was it was fun. It was a great field and it was it was fun to catch up with some of those women and I mean most of the women I think aren't necessarily Olympic distance specialists. So it was kind of all of us were a little bit out of our comfort zone, but I think having just a good time making the most of it. Um, so good, good times for sure. How was your weekend?
2: Haley, my weekend was good. I'm trying to think of what I really even did. Um, I did the longest ride on my time trial bike in a while, which, Ooh, that's you exciting. know, I've been mostly gravel riding and mountain biking and, <clears throat> the biggest oh, so what thing was I- his
0: longest it was like 60
2: minutes <laughs> no it was it took me three hours to go 47 miles and so um but it was a lot of pedaling that was the only thing I just kept thinking I was like man you really just can't stop pedaling when you ride this bike like because <laughs> you get a lot more break especially in mountain biking like you pedal a lot on the climbing and mountain biking but you don't pedal really like at all barely um on the downhills of mountain biking it's all just like body momentum and positioning and like gravity right and so and gravel ridings you pedal more but like somehow it feels like you pedal less than when you're on the road when you're riding gravel and so I don't know it's just a lot of pedaling but I did it I just wanted to like prove to myself before the winter season came that I could survive that long I guess um on the time trial bike and it was nice I will have say like there is something to be said about like getting onto a road and like riding you know 15 16 miles an hour like and being able to like move that speed whereas mountain biking and gravel riding you're much slower than that so it's it is fun to like get that speed going um and I climbed another I climbed a mountain on Sunday Helia, I got I got recognized on the trail oh
0: that's cool (laughs) by like a like a stranger a
2: stranger yeah it wasn't wasn't
0: your mom you weren't like randomly passing your mom and your mom was like oh I know you (laughs) No, I got recognized by
2: a stranger. He asked to take a picture with me and I obliged. And then later on Instagram, he sent me the picture. He posted the picture and I was like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe you recognized me. I looked like, I was like so mismatched. I mean, it it was so cold on the summit of the mountain. It was like two degrees, I think with wind chill. And so we had just all come off the summit. Like I had been kind of running across chasing him and um, his friend that were just getting off the summit. And um, so I was like windblown. I had literally like all my layers. I had like a million extra puffiness like whatever's to me but I think because I had some bright like smash fest queen flare pieces on he must have like gotten his attention and been like oh and then he, he was just like Alyssa and I turned around and I was like yes stranger like <laughs> I literally go do I know you <laughs> and he's like no and I was like cool <laughs> I was like I don't know what to say here and then he was like oh did you he's like you did the Adirondack hike and I was like oh okay you're you're a fan. So it's like, well, I did. Thank you for saying hello, I guess. And then he has to take a picture. So that was fun.
0: <laughs> oh, trail legend, Alyssa Gadeski. I love it. Um, also, big benefit of the, you know, of the casual neon. Yeah, like, you know, I really
2: think that's what it is. It gets people's attention. and They see like the neon and the hummingbird and they're like, all right, this must be Alyssa or Haley.
0: Um, yeah. The chance of me being on a mountain in um, New Hampshire is pretty slim. <laughs> So so that helps narrow it down.
2: <laughs> but um, and Haley, while you were busy racing and traveling and everything, um I just want to make sure you saw that they live feisty or live feisty did announce that feisty media did announce. Um, I'm caught in my old ways sometimes that the outspoken summit is officially all virtual. So, um, which is exciting. I think that uh, will make it super accessible for everyone and really great content will be easy to get. If you um, attend the summit, you will also have access to everything afterwards. So if you can't make quite the entire weekend, you'll be able to watch all the recordings thereafter. It's $159. Um, it's going to be happening like live on, on the app where it happens from November 12th <laughs>
0: right the that's like the, the if, the if hamilton happened today it, you know the song from hamilton <laughs> were like the room where it happens it would now be called the app where oh, it yeah. happens <laughs> that's the 2021 version <laughs> i'm going to be in the app where it happens um <laughs> uh, november 12th to 14th um
2: really great lineup of speakers you can check everything out on outspokensummit.com and grab your ticket for the virtual virtual um summit
0: It's happening. Yes. all happening. And then those awards, the Outspoken Awards, you know, we were plugging those nominations for a long time. I think by the time this airs, the finalists will have been notified, but I think everyone can watch... Those awards, Outspoken Awards, will be live on Facebook on Saturday, November 13th. Khadija Diggs, who was last year's Outspoken Woman of the Year, she will be the keynote speaker for that, and then they'll announce the winners. Um, And so thank you to everyone who did nominate people, and congratulations to the finalists who will find out this week.
2: Haley, we have... I'm really excited about this interview to bring to people. We have a returning... Iron Woman guest. So Ruth Brennan Mori has been on the Iron Woman podcast now twice. So you can go back through our archives and find some of those old episodes. One of the um, highlights with Ruth was definitely when she was on our panel at the live Iron Woman recording in Atlanta, Georgia, where we were recording prior to the marathon Olympic trials, um, where. Your favorite Haley Chur was also running there. Um, Sarah Bishop was there. It was you three on the panel, right? Am I I'm not forgetting.
0: Okay, yes. So Yes. Um No, that was right. Back in February of 2020, when we were all yes, young and naive. Yes. So we brought Ruth back today
2: to talk to us because she just launched RBM Performance Coaching, which is a mental skills performing performance coaching um business where she is helping. Athletes of all ages kind of fine tune those mental skills um, in her professional triathlon career. Ruth was a 70.3 champion. She was on a handful of podiums at 70.3 distances. She was second at Ironman Chattanooga in years. She raced 902 at Ironman Arizona. So she clearly knew her way around triathlon um she her background is in soccer so and obviously she was a US Olympic trials marathoner so ruth has that athletic background which we know and I should have introduced her actually as Dr. Ruth Brennan Mori because she also has a PhD in counseling psychology she has a master's degree in athletic counseling and sports psychology and then she has now a mindset coaching certification certification from Positive Performance Mindset Coach Academy so Whew, Haley. Clearly Ruth has the whole package of the mental skills plus the athletic skills, and we are so lucky that she is putting them all together to bring to people um this new business of hers. And we talk to her all about it right up next. Hey Haley, it's officially fall and I am drinking
0: my noon hydration immunity. Haha, Alyssa, I love a good pun and a good warm fall beverage, but can you tell me a little bit more about this new Immunity 3 product? What does the 3 stand for? It stands for vitamins, electrolytes, and prebiotics,
2: the three keys to staying healthy and hydrated this season.
0: Noon Hydration Immunity 3 comes in mandarin orange and superberry flavors, and all Iron Women podcast listeners can get 30% off Immunity 3 and the whole line of Noon Hydration products by using the code STAYFEISTY at noonlife.com.
2: The Iron Women podcast wants to give a huge shout out to Orca Sportswear for their continued support in 2021. As someone who isn't a natural born swimmer, my choices for swim gear are super important. Orca has me ready to battle for every second I need in the water with the open water, triathlon, and swim run wetsuits. They also have safety buoys, goggles, cold water caps, and booties. You name it, they have it. The code IRONWOMEN15 will get you 15% off, so head to orca.com today and let's get ready to swim in 2021.
1: Hey everyone, this is Dr. Lisa Ringerfield, co-founder of the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit. We are really excited to announce that the Outspoken Summit will be returning in 2021. This year has created an opportunity for triathletes to get back in the blocks and start to rebuild triathlon to create a more inclusive and welcoming space for all. Join us from the 12th to the 14th of November as we host a virtual summit to connect with like-minded women, center women's equity in the sport, hear from industry leaders, and develop leadership skills related to our roles in triathlon. The summit will provide a rich forum to develop strong voices, inspire others, and advocate for change in the sport we love. For more information and to sign up for the event, go to OutspokenSummit.com. We hope to see you there.
2: Ruth, welcome back to the Iron Women podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it, guys. So it has now been 20 months since we talked to you the last time at our live event in Atlanta before the Marathon Olympic Trials. And in those 20 months, we've also been going through a little thing called a global pandemic. So I'm sure life hasn't been just more of the same kind of, right? It's been kind of crazy for us all. But let's start with Ruth, the triathlete. You know What has happened since March of 2020 for you?
1: Um, since March of 2020, things have been, um, kind of in, a, it, it's been a complete shift of my mindset, um, and my just overall daily goals. Um, I have been in maintenance mode for the past two years, it feels like, um, a year and a half. And it's really when I am exercising and going out for a run, it is not to achieve a major goal. It is just to maintain my mental health um and make sure that I'm just um staying healthy, uh staying on top of um my physical health, mental health, but um um also just enjoying the process. Uh it's kind of one of my one of the times in my life that I have not had a major goal to shoot for yet. I'm kind of getting a little antsy. Um so that's I've been in maintenance mode in terms of my um, uh, seeking out goals and things like that.
2: And was that kind of induced by the pandemic or was that something you kind of had planned to take a little break and take take a step back anyway after your race in Atlanta?
1: It was pandemic related. Um I I just never I felt like, you know, the, the lockdown was hard for all of us. Um but I just didn't feel like I was in a major rush to to get back at the same time. Um I mean I had achieved with Haley, you know, our greatest dream of 2020, which was to run the Olympic trials. And that was just so much fun. But, um, but I was, I was just monitoring kind of how I was doing on a daily basis. And, um, you know, it was just, there was such an unknown during the pandemic for all of us that um, I wasn't one to just be waiting for that next open race to come up or, and then to be disappointed by it. Um, And so I have felt like I at this point of my life, I really need kind of a major goal to set my soul on fire and to really get me out of bed and to um, and to strive towards something Um, that's that's, you know, a big race. And so I could have done little local races in the last six months, but it's just not um, it's not the same of then having just one major race to kind of shoot for and put everything into it. That was a
0: very special experience in Atlanta. I do remember, I mean, start, standing on the start line with you was just one of the coolest moments of my athletic career. And, and then we had such big crowds and then we went to like isolation lockdown. It was such a wild, wild experience of life.
1: Oh my gosh. We are so fortunate not only to have raced that race, but to have done it where we were clear in our heads where we weren't fearful that there was some disease out there, even though there was, um, or or a virus out there, even though there was. And so it was, it was just a magical time where I felt like that is just, that is what I will think about when I think like pre pandemic, it's so nice to have that just awesome, um, memory and achievement that, um, you know, we can, Kind of shoot to go back there at one time in the future so
0: yeah i know more hugs than i've ever given in my entire life so got in the quota before before we had to move into social distancing but ruth what about like outside of triathlon um you know your family your husband works in healthcare you have three children who are in the school system um what you know what has life been like outside of athletics
1: um so yeah i have three kids aged um 16, 14, and 11. And for an entire year and year and three months, they were at home, um, doing their, um, doing online school. And I was kind of a support person for them, more of a, you know, more guidance for my youngest, um, my youngest son to, um, stay on track. But, they're so, they're older and they're more self-sufficient that I didn't have some of the parenting struggles that a lot of the, a lot of parents had when they, when the kids are much younger, kindergarten, first grade, I can't even imagine um, the stresses for um, uh, during the pandemic in terms of academics. So um, I have also, we were just super, we were a very, very careful family. We still wear masks wherever we go. Um, we were we were respectful of the virus. Let's just put it that way. We just wanted to make sure that we had all of the information, um, known to us before we did any anything drastic, like get together in smaller groups. And we were just very, um, my husband was very, you know, data driven, looking at the news every day, like all of us, but, um, kind of following the guidance and, and staying faithful to the information that we were getting. So, When the kids went back to school, it was, it was so nice. (laughs) I mean, just to to be in a quiet house um, was a novelty and um, kind of get my own, my own um, uh, kind of career goals in line and um, and strive towards, you know, developing a life after my athletics now.
2: And Ruth, I'm guessing that one of the things you've
1: been working on developing for kind
2: of post-athletic life is your recently announced new business, RBM Performance Coaching. And so can you talk to us about, I like was trying to figure out how to ask this and the only words I could come up with were like a birth story for your business. Like, I don't know if it's like an adequate kind of, well, it's not an adequate comparison, I'm sure, but you know, how did it come to fruition? Had this been, like, in your mind for a while and, you know, something prompted you to finally sit down and, and create the business?
1: Um, it it has definitely been an evolution. It has – I started – I actually did my, my undergraduate work a long, long time ago um, in psychology, and then did my master's in athletic counseling and sports psychology. And then um, after that, I um, – uh, that and then i went and did my phd in counseling psychology with a health psych focus and um then as i was kind of getting closer and closer to licensure for in as a psychologist i was i then realized hey i really like triathlon i'm good at it let me just take this risk and they're going to be depressed and anxious people forever. So let me just put that on hold. And then I went and um, and competed as a professional triathlete for um, seven years. And then so that was kind of on hold for a while. I knew that I eventually wanted to go back and to give back um, to my community and and to people um, to sh- kind of share my story, but also ins- inspire others to dream big and to find their own path. Um, and so I didn't really know what it was going to look like. And, um, but I just kept on being led towards, um, towards how do I set myself up in such a way that I can impact as many people as I can, um, but really develop relationships at the same time. And so, I was asked by one of my triathlon sponsors, which is Active PT, and they, um, um, one of the owners, um, asked me if I could be kind of their mindset coach for one of their active their physical therapy um, run packages. So they would do strength training, um, injury prevention, uh, training programs, nutrition, and then I would be kind of the mindset coach. And then, so that was, that's what prompted me to seek out a, um, a certification in mindset coaching. And that was through positive performance, um, mindset coach Academy. And it was like, a, I mean, now it's, I've been kind of in the program for about seven months and it's just been just such a fun experience to dive in and to feel like really at home with the material and to feel like you know, it's just come full circle and I'm just where I need to be now with even more kind of athletic experience, knowledge, and skills about how I can give back um, through this, through my small business. It's so interesting to hear you talk about this phys- physical
0: therapist who, who brought you in because I remember when I was in physical therapy years and years ago after an injury, um, my PT was talking about how so much of her job was psychology. And um and I think that's, you know, that obviously this physical therapist that you worked with had a lot of self-awareness to realize that they didn't necessarily have all the skills that they needed for their athletes and they needed to bring in someone like you. So can you talk about, you know, how how mindset coaching and mental skills training specifically is separate from the physical coaching and training that we might get from coaches we already have or from a physical
1: therapist? Sure. Um so so physical training, you know, any, any college or Olympian uh, Olympic athlete will say the mental um, side of performance is so huge. Um, I mean, we see it with Michael Phelps. We, see, we see it with every psychologist or Naomi Osaka, Osaka. they are just um, very aware that the mental side of sport is so important. Um, and so it's not that our youth athletes or injured athletes aren't at that a level um, in order to realize that th- those mental skills are just as important as it is for Olympians to overcome injuries, to stay focused during competition, to know how to self-regulate and, and manage your emotions um, before, during, and after competition. Um, and that confidence, for example, can be shot with you know, one performance and the athlete can be struggling for months and months based on one performance. And so we can, there are typically two camps of, of people. They say, I would like a mental skills coach to provide my son or daughter with an edge, like that 1% edge that nobody else does. Or they say, I really need a sports psychologist to fix my kid. And I come from the approach where I think that mental skill train mental skills training needs to be an integral part of our child's development part of their of their sports program growing up so that when they so that they can not only just you know our goal isn't to make to make college athletes or even Olymp- Olympic athletes our goal is to nurture our kids and um, give them a joyful experience in sport that builds their character, that builds their self-confidence, that builds their um, their emotions and their belief in themselves so that they can then go on and be productive members of society and to really use you know the life skills that they use that they have um, gained through sport uh, in their in their everyday life. And so I just feel like there needs to be a major shift and there is starting to be a, a more of a shift with our youth, athletes in, um, and just realizing how important that is. Uh, our, our youth athletes are, are put under, can be put under tremendous pressure. And, um, and although I think that the approach to mental skills needs to be at the coaching level, at the parenting level, and at the player level so that they can all work together to, number one, make sure that the needs of the athlete and student athlete are being met. So there's, I have heard from my physical therapist that, um, that they are kind of like a therapist, a psychotherapist in their, when they're working with, with people. And it's, you know, it's, they realize their competencies end at one point and um, they like to have a referral source now.
2: Can you tell us a little bit about what the biggest limitations you would see surface from athletes that aren't proactive about their mental skills training? You know, it it almost sounds like and this was kind of something I, I hadn't really thought of before, but some of the limitations actually might trickle into their everyday life versus just their athletic career as a you know, as an athlete. Is that
1: Yes, possible, I guess it sounds like? I think for sure. I think, you know, sports are just a little microcosm of the the big picture in a a child's world, right? Um, You know, if they have the skills to be able to bounce back from mistakes on the playing field, you know, they shank a ball over the net or miss that last second uh, three-pointer, how are they able to then rebound um, in sport? It's directly, you know, transferable to what happens when, when they, you know, get a, a disappointing grade on a math test or, um, how are you able to, um, reframe that experience to be one of a growth mindset and to, um, to have a sense of control in your life that your destiny is, um, is very much a part of your, your, in your control, but it's also part of this evolving storyline that you have. And I like to work with athletes and especially young athletes in that they are a character in their own story. And they can decide what they do in this chapter, the next chapter, and the next chapter. And it's not always going to be a um, an easy flowing story because those aren't really the stories that we like to learn about. We want to learn about adversity. We love adversity seeing and reading about courage and overcoming hard things and seeing that character grow through, um, through difficulty. And so as I never, when I'm working with an athlete, I never just keep it within the sport realm. It has to go outside of the, uh, the sport arena because that's really what the ultimate goal of youth sports is, is to have people who can develop these amazing character skills for life. And I know this
0: company in your business is, is fairly new, but I'm curious about like who you're working with. Cause I know that you, you, offer workshops and one-on-one training. Are you working mostly with children or is this something that, and you know, someone in there, a 36 year old <laughs> could, uh, could inquire <laughs> about as
1: well. It's funny that it's really funny that you asked that because it, since, since kind of launching the the business, I've had more adults than kids or teams come to me and say, I really need your help. I just got done with a surgery um, or I um, am, am having a poor relationship with my sport. How can you help me just regain that joy? And so, you know, it's it's important that we know what where our strengths lie and that our niche doesn't become too broad in that you're just kind of being a generalist, but you want to be able to, if you have the skills that can help a lot of people um, it's hard to say no to clients when you know that you have, that you can teach them things that will really help them with their goals. But it's um, I think it is going to take discipline once it grows to, to be able to kind of just, um, limit yourself to the youth population or a particular population. So right now I am working with some adults. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, but a few sports too. And I love working with girls in particular. Um, but the boys are great too. So
0: and on your website, you also break your mental skills into, I think, three three areas. You call them foundational skills, pre-competition skills, and competition skills. So these sound like things that, again, any age, um, any ability can can be thinking about. So can you run us through those three pillars um, of the mental skill set, and and maybe from a perspective of a triathlete?
1: Oh, sure. Um, so the The foundational skills for a triathlete would be all of the skills that, um, that you would need on an everyday basis to get up in the morning, to go and, um, to, you know, make your way to the pool, um, to plan ahead, to set goals, um, to have kind of a, a, um, um, Character growth is, character is a huge part of my program. And so, uh, but character is value-based, right? So I I can tell you what my top character traits are as they are valued, but somebody else might be completely different. And so we build on someone's character traits so that they are in line with their behaviors as they are, as they're training. So say my character traits might be, you know, fearlessness, ambition, um, and, uh, resilience. Well, I keep those at my forefront and keep developing those and create experiences that make yourself live those traits. Uh, then they build on themselves and become more, res- you know, stronger throughout your trade for your training and also for your competition. Um, and then you have, pre-competition skills, which might be, um, imagery, mindfulness. Um, it might be self-talk affirmations. Um, and so teaching somebody how to speak to themselves in a different way is super powerful. I mean, the things that we say to ourselves can be quite negative negative. You know we have sixty thousand um, thoughts running through our head every day, and um, to keep those mostly positive, two thirds positive is kind of the the golden rule, and um, and to be aware of what those thoughts are coming in because that definitely affects our subconscious mind, um, and our and our um, belief in ourselves, so. Pre-competition might also be mental rehearsal. Being able to see yourself getting on, doing T one or T two transition, um, going through that that process in your mind before bed, um, and um, being able to kind of self-actualize that that process of feeling like you're confident and um, uh, building your skills for. Um, Before the competition happens. So then competition skills might be more emotional arousal. Do you get too ramped up before the, before the race? Or if you make a mistake, what happens then? Uh, So learning how to bounce back and have a particular um, ritual in order to bounce back when your, you know, your goggles get hit off. So um, there are all kinds of things that you can, all kinds of tools that you can do to train your brain to be able to be fully in control, be efficient on the day and to stay uh, consistent with your, with your mindset.
2: And Ruth, you touched on this a little bit before, but I did want to kind of go back to it too. Have you always been aware of kind of these mental skills aspects and being able to recognize that, you know, like the foundational skills are foundational and that's, so important to build on to then have successful pre-competition and competition skills that help you compete well. Right. So, you know, like, was this something, it sounds like it was always something that you were aware of and then you kind of, you know, took that sidetrack to compete as a professional triathlon triathlete for a bit before coming back to this. And so like, did you have a mentor anyone who guided you in this process?
1: Um, I think, you know, I have I have failed more than I have succeeded and I think along the way we I have had mentors who have helped me through those particular times um there have uh, there hasn't been one mentor throughout you know the the years but several along the way that I cherish so much um but I think uh as I went i went into, i did my master's degree in sports psychology athletic counseling and my my master's thesis was on uh, differences between non-elite and elite self-talk in marathon performance um and so i went to the boston marathon and sat in the in the um in the expo and just had three hundred and fifty Boston Marathoners filling out all of my um, my questionnaires, and then I went into to the New York City Marathon and collected, I think, a hundred different elites in that race. Somehow I I got up to the 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 elite hangout, so I got all this great data. Um, but, so th- from that point, I was that was like a. A really great learning experience for me, but the way that I got into self-talk in the first place was because my self-talk as a sophomore in in high or in college was terrible. Like it was, it was just terrible. My confidence was shot um, just because of the self-dialogue that I had as as a sophomore soccer player at Wisconsin. Um, And it wasn't until you know a friend of mine who who you know was just an awesome athlete and played on the national team, played on the World Cup team in China. And she she helped me understand just how important self-talk is Um, and not just this Pollyanna self-talk, but it's more belief and deep, um, deep self-belief, self-talk. So there's a big difference um, and and how that affects your performance. I'll never forget um, my friend Marcy Miller. Her name is Marcy Jobson now, but she's a um, was the coach of Baylor for a while before her husband um, started. He became the head coach, but um, she. We were at practice one day, and during this semi-professional team that I was on, and my head was just completely in the gutter. Like it was, I had all time low. I had, I was. I wasn't completing passes because I was scared of failing. I was scared of making mistakes. And so it was, it was like, how do I not mess up rather than how do I succeed when I was on the field? And she comes over to me and she looks me in the eyes and she was like, Ruth, what is going on with you? And I was like, what, what do you mean? And she said, look me in the eyes right now and repeat after me. She said, I am the best soccer player out here. And I said, okay, Marcy, I'm the best soccer player out here. You know, we were playing with this Canadian national team player, Charmaine Hooper. Um, Marcy was amazing. A couple other people that were playing um, on the national team at that time. And I'm like, okay, I'm the best player out here. I clearly wasn't. But then she said, no, look at me in the eyes. Say it. I'm the best player out here. And I'm like, I'm the best player out here. She goes, say it like you mean it. It was like one of these great sport moments, and I'll never forget it. And then then, at that moment, I said, I am the best player out here. I looked in their eyes, just fierceness in my eyes. And in that moment, I believed it. And the rest of the practice, I was on fire. I was going to slide tackles. I was winning the ball. It was like night and day shift with my mentality and my mindset. And it was like, holy buckets. She goes, that's after practice. She was like, that's more like it. You know, I think I took her out or something. Um, But it was like, I, I always tell that story to people that I am giving workshops to or, or talks to because it's so powerful. What you say to yourself creates who you are. Um, And I think that that's just one of the, you know, that's just one example of daily talk that we don't even realize that we say to ourselves, um, and so, really, having that awareness in your forefront of what is the quality of your of your self dialogue and what what do you say to yourself most people don't have that realization, so I help extract that from people, and then we 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 tinker with it from multiple different angles, so it 's not just challenging your thoughts, but what do you do when your thoughts come in and you don't and um uh, and you feel like they're gonna hurt you or you feel like you have to act on them can you have that pause or that mindfulness to just let them let them pass through your mind like clouds in the sky as as though they're they won't hurt you you don't have to act on them um so it, long story that's a really long answer but it's um it's an it has been an evolution and there has been you know, mentors along the way for me um, that I'm so grateful for.
0: And I'm assuming from that story that your research did show that there was a difference between the self-talk between elites
1: and non-elites. Yeah. And it's not necessarily that non-elites don't believe, right? It's just that their their quality of their self-talk is different. So elite um, marathoners tend to have more, it's called associative self-talk, where you're the the person is constantly um, monitoring their body sensations and their pain sensations and their respiration, their muscular tension. And it's kind of like this, um, they go from head to toe and think, you know, loosen up your face, keep your arms loose, relax. This is good breathing. So they're always in touch and associating um, their effort with how their body's feeling where we've, we found a lot of, you know, non-elites. And this isn't my uh, we took one kind of angle of this already existing literature from um, a guy named uh, uh, Dr. Um, William Morgan at Wisconsin. And um, he, non-elites tend to use dissociative strategies to kind of overcome their discomfort and their pain, like one more mile, or there's a cheeseburger at the end, or there's a beer at the end, just keep going. Um, and so there's all types of different uh, self-talk but in order to get through a difficult discomfort we externalize as as non-elites and we internalize as um as elites that's the tendency oh I've definitely done both of those <laughs>
0: yeah. and I will say I think i when I'm at my elitist I'm probably doing a little bit more of checking in with my body and when I'm <laughs> a little bit of a rough day i'm uh thinking about that cheeseburger um you you touched on this a little (laughs) bit earlier though ruth about the pandemic and how that is this big thing that all of us have gone through the past more than almost two years has that changed you know have you seen that in athletes like how they're approaching mental skills i mean you mentioned it yourself like not having races that are you know probably going to happen like it, it makes things a little bit harder
1: yeah, I think, um, what we're, what the research is showing, and this is out of the Aspen Institute, um, of sport and society and, um, project play is that there is, people are hesitant to go back to sports, um, youth in particular. And, um, it's, and that has shifted for a lot of, of, a lot of kids for a number of reasons. Um, one being they are finding other things to do, uh, Another thing is they really like unstructured play versus structured play or, you know, and so they they like the fact that they're not as busy um, running around and traveling all over the place and the pressure on the parents screaming at them on the sidelines. And, um, and so, and that we're also seeing a drop in participation from, um, from uh, kids uh, in with underserved backgrounds, you know, kids just and even more of a drop than we did pre-pandemic. And so I think that it the pandemic was a time for all of us to just reflect on our priorities and to um uh, to just look at the relationship that we have with sport in a different way. But I think that the pandemic has taught me and that the value of unstructured play just is so important and um, I think we have to look at why the kids are, are not going back to sport and even all of us like did our motivation drop? Well how do we get that back? I think now more than other more than ever we're seeing mental health um, issues creep into into our into our kids lives and our lives. And so to be in check with that and giving them the right tools and the right support and the right relationships, um, will really help combat that and bring them back to a new, a new normal.
2: And Ruth, we knew we were going to be talking to you this week. So last week on our episode, we asked our listeners if they had questions, they could send them in. So our next few questions come from our listeners. Um, this one comes from Shelley and she wanted to see if you had any advice for balancing kind of bigger or longer term goals. With short-term or immediate-term training goals for an athlete who's maybe injury-prone or coming back from an injury, and they need to build up slowly. So, it kind of sounds like how to not be chomping off more than you should be um, as you're you're building up to some big goals that you've been dreaming up.
1: Yeah, I think that uh, I think that a big goal is is really helpful for us to kind of set the compass and to have that that goal in sight but their daily goals are like bricks in a brick house they are our building blocks to make this great big house and although you might not um so the process the everyday process goals are so important um to build on top of one another i think people are really not i've found (laughs) in the last six months just talking to people they're not very good at, at writing down their goals And, um, and kind of have vague goals of what that dream goal would look like, or why that is important to them. I think that a reflection on your why, frequently, frequent reflection is critical to maintaining that motivation and that drive forward. Um, I think that a lot of people say, well, um, that's just something that I want to do. Or I don't know, I think that that would be really neat to do an Iron Man. well, just because it would be really neat to achieve it 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 will not kind of your goal won't be realized unless you truly engage your the emotional part of why that goal is so important to you and constantly revisit it day after day after day after day with emotions and images of you at the finish line and why that's important to you. So, um, when I'm working with athletes, I very much go into their why, um, and, and stay focused on process goals.
0: Shelly also wanted to hear about strategies to manage race anxiety. So does racing more frequently help or other ways that you might suggest she channel her nerves into
1: positive energy? Um, yeah. So there are a lot of different ways to, to manage our anxiety. Um, I think, um, number one, there's a lot of different ways. Number one is making that race as predictable as we can. So learning as much information as we can about that race, um, going and, you know, doing a walkthrough of the, of the course is really important, but from a mental uh, training standpoint, it's important that nothing is new on race day, as we all know, and that all of these, the skills that you can learn, the race day skills are practiced every day, uh, in training. So I teach a lot, like I've said, of, of mindfulness and how to kind of, um, how to manage, manage our emotions. You, we have a, um, a kind of a, a, point of our arousal that we perform best. And that's not like too low of an arousal level. And it's not too high. It has to be somewhere right in between. Uh, And so learning what that is for each individual is important. And you can just say what on a scale of one to 10, when, where do you perform the best? For me, it would be about a seven um, that I would perform my best. And then if I'm feeling too low or too relaxed, how do I get myself up to that point? And then if I'm feeling too hyper or, um, or anxious, what skills do I do to get back down from a 10 to a 7? So I want to keep that target as a 7, but then monitor where I am right now. So with if I was at a 10, I would um, focus on deep breathing. The greatest thing about your breath is that it's always with you. So I love um, giving athletes the challenge of trying to breathe, for example, from one to 20, and you breathe in, count one, breathe out, count two, breathe in, count three, breathe out, count four, and then up to 20. Up to 50 is very, very, very difficult. But once you're there, you can't, and you're doing that process, you can't, your mind can't uh, wander, or it can't get into, um, you know, other distress. You're fully focused on what that breathing feels like. And so that's one way that you can, that you can do that. But again, it's not just going to work the night before a race that is continual, just five minutes to set your mind right every day. That is, it's a part of your training process, making sure that you've done that breathing before, you know how to relax yourself to that, back to that seven. Um, another thing that's really helpful throughout your training, again, five, 10 minutes a a day is easy. We sit on our bikes for five hours. We can definitely spend five or 10 minutes with the mental training part of our, of our, um, program. Um, but to visualize in your mind's eye, what that day, how that day will unfold and to be able to see, hear, feel, touch, smell what that day is like and just to go through that brings more certainty to our day. And you can always throw in what happens if i if my the back of my wetsuit gets pulled down. Well, here's what i would do in my mind's eye, you know, go over on your back and pull it up, staying calm and relaxed. So that whenever any of those things happen in real life, you've already done them in your mind and the brain does not know whether you have practiced them in reality or whether you have just done them in, in your head. It's like the same circuitry. Um, and so that will help your performance, being able to, to go through a process in your own mind. And I, I do with athletes, I go through all kinds of different exercises because nothing new on race day, everything is leading up to that very special day. And, they, and then they're confident that they have those skills.
2: I love these. And so, and we have one more, um,
1: from a listener, Brenda, and she wanted to hear your
2: suggestions about working through the desire to quit a race towards the end. So she walked off the course in her last two races, physically, she was fine. She just let the thought of, I have nothing to prove take over once she started to hurt. So reasoned her way into walking off the course and, you know, doesn't want that to keep happening. So what kind of suggestions do you have?
1: It is stopping a race. It, uh, it is it makes sense doesn't it like we're going through so much distress pain like why wouldn't you want to stop right um but the thing that becomes so overwhelming is that that becomes a habit and it's really you know that stopping is going to make you feel good it's going to make you feel better short term long term it doesn't. And then you start regretting and having shame and, you know, it it all, then your emotions spiral. Um, but one of the athletes that I work with now, we've worked a lot on just acceptance in that moment and having full acceptance of, um, of the sensations that are happening to you right there. Our, our, our mind stops before our body stops. And so, when we have one of those feeling, one of those thoughts of um, "I really want to stop," instead of actually stopping, you just notice and you bring to your awareness that your attention of that thought, "I want to stop," and then, like a like a luggage revolver or uh, revolving, you know, luggage uh, track, you just see the piece of luggage come and then you see it go, and you keep running. It's the You don't judge the fact that you're having that thought because oftentimes we think of thoughts as facts. And we think, oh, I'm a miserable person if I drop out. And we think of that as a fact or I really want to stop. I need to stop now. I mean, if you're, you know, sometimes we do need to stop and that's a safe thing to do. But if it's a mindset thing rather than a physical thing, that that's different. Um, you can practice mindfulness in those in those times, or you can set set uh, small term goals. Let me just make it up to this next aid station. Let me make it up to um, this next mile marker. Um, but that's a very it's a it's a difficult, but um, it's difficult kind of um, uh, issue that can be overcome for sure
0: these are, this is so good. We know we're taking up a lot of your time, but I wanted to ask one other quick, um, point you touched on was that you work with parents, coaches, and players. And so far we've, you know, we've been focused mostly on players or athletes. And I just wanted to ask about, you know, when you work with
1: parents or coaches, what is that perspective like? Um, I am also right now I'm a, um, uh, a coach. Uh, I've been coaching my daughter's soccer team for eight years, and um, soccer's my love, and that is what I um, what I love to do. But I approach each season with a very clear expectation for the parents and a very clear um, kind of team approach with the parents. I don't think that it, a team is is players plus coach equals team. It is players plus coach plus parents equals team. And we oftentimes, you know, we rule out parents thinking that they're going to be difficult. They're going to be screaming at us. Um, oh, they're just, you know, they're not part of the process, but they are watching the humans that they love so much on the field. And parents are very much a part a part of the solution to youth sport kind of insanity then the problem. If we see them as the problem, then they will never be a part of the solution and they need to be a part of the solution. So I've developed some of the greatest friendships with my parents. Um, and so, and then when you develop that trust and the understanding that you're doing everything possible in your, um, in your work with the athlete, be so that the athlete can bring their best self to sport and to life, then they are on board all of the time. Like they're on board. If you say yelling at the refs is not the best for the child, they, they will acknowledge that um, and, and be a a part of the team, a part of the solution. Also, I think parents need education Um, for, for you guys. And for me, it's, it's easy to kind of frame um uh to allow our our children to um to just be free and to know what the purpose of youth sports are, but for a lot of parents they don't they just don't know they don't know how to cheer they don't know how to support um and so I think a lot of the behaviors that we see from parents is not because they're terrible people it's just because they have a lack of education so I really make sure that they're um they're a part of the team.
0: And what about coaches? I'm a coach. Alyssa's a coach. I'm sure there's lots of coaches that listen. Like, when when you know, how much does should a coach be doing in the mindset training? And at what point do you encourage an athlete to reach out to someone like you who has a little bit more expertise in the area?
1: Yeah, I think um, coaches definitely serve a uh, serve a purpose with mindset, and um, I think some coaches are just kind of naturally if depending on the experience that they've had as athletes, um, you know, are naturally able to infuse some of these concepts with their, with their athletes, like character building, um, and, um, and some mental skills, but some, I I think that some coaches just feel like it's beyond their, their role as a coach, um, as they're training the physical piece and they want to kind of separate themselves from, from the, um, the psychological or emotional side of of sports, and I think a great coach knows what their limits are, um, and is able to to refer refer their athletes when when they see that it's beyond their capability or interest. Right.
2: Well, Ruth, thank you so much for your time today. I think we easily could fill another like hour or two with more questions about all of this, but. Um, you know, where should people go? We will link to your website for RBM performance, um, performance coaching at the, in the show notes. And is that the best way to use, you know, I think there's a contact form on the website to get in touch with you.
1: Yep. I also have a Facebook page, um, RBM performance coaching, and, um, you can catch me there too, but be in touch. Thanks
2: so much. This was fascinating and always fun to catch up with you, Ruth.
1: Thank you so much, Haley and
2: Alyssa. Kaylee, have you ever realized that skincare is an
0: all-season job? It really is, Alyssa. Winter can be just as harsh on my skin as the summertime sun. Haley, have you ever been jealous of the elite running or cycling groups who are able to get their blood work done super quickly and efficiently because they have a doctor on staff? Yes, I have been jealous. I have a great primary care physician, but I'll admit, sometimes I'm curious about certain blood markers in between my annual doctor visits. Me too, and that's why I'm excited Inside Tracker is here. Inside Tracker is on demand blood testing. You pick your plan online, schedule your blood draw appointment locally, and get your results within a few days. My favorite part, they don't just give you data, they provide you with nutrition and lifestyle
2: tips too. For a limited time, Inside Tracker is offering our listeners 25% off of their entire store. Just go to insidetracker.com trackercom ironwoman and get started. Haley, we just recorded with Ruth and I feel like she had so much good information. I can't wait to actually like re-listen to this episode and kind of make sure I'm fully digesting a lot of the kind of tips she gave us and insight. I think one of my favorite that's sticking with me right now is we talked about those like three pillars um, for mental skills. And that first one is foundational skills. And I really thought it was interesting. I liked what she had to say about incorporating character into those foundational skills and like what is important to you for character building. Um and like how you want to be building that through your athletic goals as well. I think that's really interesting. And as a coach, that's definitely something I have taken away and I'm going to like think about how I can incorporate that as I as I work with some athletes.
0: Yeah. Lots to incorporate as a coach, lots to incorporate as an athlete and as a human in the world. But big thanks to Dr. Ruth Mori for coming back to the show and sharing so much of her wisdom with us.
2: All right, Haley, normally I would say, I hope you have a good recovery week, but do you, how, what does the recovery from the Olympic distance triathlon look like this week?
0: Oh gosh, Alyssa. Well, I will tell you, I'm shockingly tired for, I mean, you could say I only raced for two hours and 11 minutes, but I, I again, my fatigue levels are, suggest, you know, maybe it's the same as anything. And then, um, Earlier this morning I had a bit of an allergy issue with I think related to my goggles. So I feel like I need all the recovery. <laughs> I don't know. So um I again I'm reminding myself that none of this is um quite a biza level Fiona Moriarty who was our guest last week and kind of took the the set the bar high for things that can go wrong surrounding a race. I have not lost any rental cars. Nothing has been towed, but I feel like a lot is going wrong. So I'm just kind of trying to get out of this drinking my noon immunity and trying to stay healthy and get back at it. So we'll see. I'll let you know how it goes. Hopefully by next, the next time I talk to you, I am back to, uh, you know, full on going at it. But um, yeah, for right now my recovery needs are are vast.
2: <laughs> well then, yeah, I think you definitely need to take care of that. Um, for our listeners, you can get your Haley's talked about a couple things today. The Betwixt chamois cream that she used on her neck for the anti-chafing, uh, which is brilliant and definitely a great use of betwixt, Um, in her race, she also, you know, the noon that that we've been drinking nonstop. I think I always am drinking my noon immunity, whether I'm traveling or racing or not. Um, but you can get all of the information on the companies that support our podcast, like Zelio Skincare and noon hydration at, in our show notes, they're there. So just check the show notes, support those companies, use those discount codes
0: and be more like, be more like Haley. (laughs) Yeah. Be like Haley, drink noon immunity. It'll help for your allergies. (laughs) Bye Alyssa. Have a great week. Bye Haley.
2: You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast
0: hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Feisty Media and is edited and produced by Lindsay Glassford. Head to livefeisty.com to find more podcasts, events, stories, and fresh perspectives.
2: Thank you to our sponsors, Noon Hydration, Zelio Skincare, Orca Sportswear, and Inside Tracker. You can find all websites and discount codes at ironwomenpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.